Last Tuesday, July the 29th, a Financial Times editorial neatly applied a degree of finality to all the speculation as to whether or not a new Cold War is now brewing in major power relationships. It was entitled, Closing a 25-Year Chapter with Russia, with the subheading, Putin's Misconduct Made New Sanctions Inevitable. Here are the opening paragraphs. Quote, By ramping up sanctions on Moscow in response to its persistent destabilization of the Ukraine, the US and its European allies are closing a chapter in their relationship with post-communist Russia. They are recognizing the breakdown of a 25-year effort to forge constructive ties with a state whose behavior it was once hoped would depart from the suspicious self-isolation of the communist era. For the foreseeable future, this hope is dead. Barring a wholly unlikely change in the strategic calculations of President Vladimir Putin, relations between the West and Russia will be difficult and even dangerous for years to come. The perspective which this editorial advocates is that the high hopes for East-West relations and democratic progress, born of the collapsed, first of the Soviet Empire and then of the Soviet Union itself in 1989-91, and which have endured for the last 25 years, these hopes are no longer valid. The editorial does not state that the Cold War is resuming, though that is one implication. So it set me wondering, how has Reflections from Asia covered these years of hope that great power conflict would diminish? At the very least, way back on December the 22nd, 2007, Reflections clarified what Winston Churchill actually said about Russia, correcting a misquote which is still in wide circulation today. But first, let me tell one or two of my favourite Churchill stories. One of Churchill's failings was to assume that his command of French was greater than his ability to speak it. In the heady days after World War II, Churchill was in Strasbourg to promote greater European unity. What he wanted to say was, when I look at my past life, I see two distinct phases. What he actually said to the French audience was, Quand je regarde mon derrière, j'ai vu de part. The crowd roared. Churchill beamed. He was, of course, linguistically referring to his backside, not to his past. Churchill was always quick on the uptake. He was having a political disagreement with the tart-tongued liberal politician Nancy Astor, Seeking to end the quarrel, she exploded. Winston, if I was your wife, I would put arsenic in your coffee. Madam, Churchill replied, if I was your husband, I would drink it. Churchill's wit and aphorisms endure. Recently, another frequently used Churchillian dictum has once again been working overtime in editorials about Russian politics. Churchill has been widely quoted as saying, quote, I cannot forecast to you the action of Russia. It is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, unquote.
When President Vladimir Putin went to great lengths in 2008 to both retire from office and to also extend himself in power at one and the same time, this neat phrase was frequently used to explain what was otherwise inexplicable. One wished Churchill had been still alive to wittily describe Putin's constitutional contortions, but there is also a biting irony in its frequent use, or misuse even today. The phrase is normally considered divorced from its context, but the Archive Centre at Churchill College, Cambridge, placed the original script of the Churchill broadcast in an online exhibition on the internet, In it, Churchill himself solved the riddle and unwrapped part of the mystery. So it is fascinating to consider the precise context for this famous Churchillian bon mot. It was in his first broadcast to the British people, delivered on the 1st of October 1939. After his years in backbench opposition, Churchill had finally been recalled to government at the outbreak of the Second World War in Europe and reappointed to the job he had first held at the outbreak of the First World War in 1914, that is, First Lord of the Admiralty, the civilian head of the Royal Navy. The Second World War had broken out just as Germany and the Soviet Union divided Poland between them. In the broadcast, what Churchill actually said was that Germany had been told by the Russians that, quote, Nazi designs upon the Baltic states and upon the Ukraine must come to a dead stop. I cannot forecast to you the action of Russia. It is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma, but there is a key. The key is Russian national interest. It cannot be in accordance with the interest or safety of Russia that Germany should plant itself upon the shores of the Black Sea or that it should overrun the Balkan states and subjugate southeastern Europe. That would be contrary to the historic life interests of Russia. Unquote. The full context of Churchill's comments was subtly different from the single phrase taken out of context which emphasised Russian unpredictability. What Churchill was saying was, yes, Russia is mysterious, but consideration of national interest diminishes the mystery. As he spoke, the Soviet Union and Germany had just signed a boundary and friendship treaty in Moscow and the two nations seemed to be closer allies than ever before. But Churchill, remembering Hitler's insatiable territorial ambitions, was predicting that faced with the threat of German aggression, quote, these interests of Russia fall into the same channel as the interests of Britain and France. None of these three powers can afford to see Romania, Yugoslavia, Bulgaria and above all Turkey put under the German heel. Through the fog of confusion and uncertainty, we may discern quite plainly the community of interests which exists between England, France and Russia, unquote. Now, in 1939, when he said this, this was a heresy. Yet Churchill was accurately predicting the action of Russia. Two years later, Hitler's voracious ambitions had made Britain and Russia allies in the fight to defeat Hitler. 
With German forces driving towards Moscow, Russia was no longer an enigma. Stalin was no longer pretending that Hitler was his friend. The fascinating fact that has recently come to light is that President Vladimir Putin's vision of national interest can be as expensive as Hitler's had once been. Resenting the impositions of the Versailles Peace Treaty, which ended the First World War, Hitler first claimed that the German-speaking areas of Europe must revert to German sovereignty. Similarly, resenting the impositions brought about by the collapse of the Soviet Union, Putin still believes that numerous Russian-speaking areas in Europe and Central Asia should now revert to Russian sovereignty. Putin's expansive vision was recently revealed in the first three paragraphs of an edit page article in the New York Times entitled Protecting Russians in Ukraine Has Fatal Consequences by Oxford University Professor Timothy Garton Ash. Quote, In 1994, I was half asleep at a round table in St. Petersburg, Russia, Garton Ash writes, when a short, thick-set man with a rather rat-like face, apparently then a sidekick of the city's mayor, suddenly piped up. Russia, he said, had voluntarily given up huge territories to the former republics of the Soviet Union, including areas which historically have always belonged to Russia. He was thinking not only about Crimea and northern Kazakhstan, but also, for example, about the Kaliningrad area. Russia could not simply abandon to their fate those 25 million Russians who now lived abroad. The world had to respect the interests of the Russian state and of the Russian people as a great nation. Garden Ash continues... The name of this irritating little man was, you guessed it, Vladimir V. Putin. And I know exactly what he said way back in 1994 because the organisers of that conference, the Korber Foundation of Hamburg, Germany, published a full transcript. For the phrase that I have translated as the Russian people, the German transcript uses the word Volk. Mr. Putin seems to have and still has an expansive Volkish definition of Russians, or what he now refers to as the Ruski Mir, literally the Russian world. The transcript also records that I teased out the consequences of the then obscure deputy mayor's vision by saying, if we define British nationality to include all English-speaking people, we would have a state slightly larger than China. Little did we imagine then that 20 years later, the St. Petersburg deputy mayor, now crowned czar of all the Russians, would have seized Crimea by force, covertly stirred up violent mayhem in eastern Ukraine and be explicitly advancing his 19th century Volkish vision as the policy of a 21st century state. Today's Kremlin has its own perverted version of the Western-developed and United Nations-sanctified humanitarian doctrine of the responsibility to protect. Russia, Mr Putin insists, has a responsibility to protect all Russians abroad. But it is he, Putin, who gets to decide who is a Russian, unquote. 
I was hoping at this point to further quote from Putin's 1994 speech. An internet link was provided, but it led only to a German-language website which I could not navigate. So I will conclude by quoting the somewhat optimistic conclusions of that FT editorial quoted at the beginning of this talk. Quote, There is no need for alarmism. A revival of the Cold War will not happen today because today's Russia is not yesterday's Soviet superpower. It possesses a permanent UN Security Council seat and an abundance of intercontinental nuclear weapons and raw materials, but in other respects Moscow is not the equal of the United States at a global level. In Asia, Russia is a junior partner to China." The FT goes on to argue that a wary posture is still advisable, quote, An improvement in the international climate is nevertheless unlikely without political change in Russia. For what makes Mr. Putin so confrontational on the world stage is at bottom an awareness that Russia's post-communist attempt at building a modern state and society is running into the sands. As with the Soviet Politburo, so is Mr. Putin and his entourage. An insecure power apparatus adopts a resentful anti-Americanism in its foreign policy because its only consistent domestic policy is suppression of political freedom, unquote. Above all, the editorial maintains Putin should be viewed as neither a mystery nor an enigma, quote, The potential for a showdown between the West and Russia over Ukraine was implicit in Moscow's post-Soviet conception of its neighbours to the West and the South as states that are less than fully sovereign and belong to a Russian sphere of influence. But Russia under the late Boris Yeltsin did not go to war outside its borders." All 298 passengers in Malaysian Flight 17 died because President Vladimir Putin did go to war in the eastern Ukraine.